Hey, everybody. This is Mel. And this is Jill. And this is Mel and Jill Geek Out. Hey, Jill. Hi, Mel. How's it going? Well, it's wet and nasty outside. It is finally not raining here. Um, it is overcast, though, and I I don't want to self-diagnose myself with SAD, the seasonal depression <laughs> thing, but I miss the sunshine so much. I'm so over it being cloudy and drab out. Yeah, I, I'm i ready for some sunshine, too. Uh, this is nap weather. This mm-hmm. is perfect nap weather. Like, curl up into a ball, read a book, and snooze. Yeah, I very much wish my library was done, and I had found my perfect reading chair, and I could just be up there under a blanket reading a book, Surrounded by my little furry creatures. I have two cats and a dog and they love to just do what I like to call a cuddle puddle on top of me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I I couldn't handle all three dogs laying on me. Yeah, you have three like medium sized dogs. I have a medium sized dog, a rather large cat and then like a normal sized cat. So it works out. I would say so. It works out. They're all in my office with me while I'm recording. The The two cats are debating on how bad they want to be on my desk. Wyatt is trying to join the podcast. And then Rosie has taken up her favorite residence underneath my desk. I have a very large desk, mainly because she likes to sleep at my feet under my desk. I don't think I could do that. Like, mine are, they get get in my feet. I can't handle it. It's too much. Like, she doesn't touch me. She just wants to be right next to me. Oh, I can handle that. So if I don't have this large of a desk, she would be on my feet. Oh, no. But by having an L-shaped desk, there's a bunch of room under the desk for her to lay. I like that idea. So I like that idea. It worked out. It works out. Um, so I have an embarrassing yet funny story to tell you. Okay. So I don't even remember what we were doing last night, but my husband and I were chit-chatting and he showed me something on his phone and it didn't have his case on it. I was like, where'd your case go? Well, mm-hmm. I, I dropped my phone while I was in the bathtub. And I was like, how do you do that? Did he just like hit himself in the face? I don't know. I don't know. Well, how it's like it scrolling. I just, but I did, I just gave him shit for it. Uh, as you should. Mm-hmm. As you should. Because mm-hmm. John like oh, reads no, articles done. or scrolls. Oh, God. <laughs> That wasn't the end of the story. That's not the embarrassing part that he was a schmuck and dropped his phone in the bathtub. (laughs) 
because <laughs> 20 minutes later, I did. <laughs> so how did you drop your phone in the bathtub? I was, I, <laughs> I was holding my phone, reading something, and I like was bending over to turn the faucet off, and it just slipped <laughs> You forgot how to grip things? Apparently. <laughs> so now, uh, so Mark, I guess, threw his phone in the in a rice bowl. Mm-hmm. Great. But then I, I immediately fished mine out. I threw it in the rice bowl. And then an hour or two later, I go to plug it in and it's giving me the, like, water in the whatever. Mm-hmm. Warning. In the charging port? Yes, water in the charging port error. I'm like, fuck. So I put it in the rice again, tried it again later. Still doing it. Uh-oh. So I was like, well, shit. I So I'm, I'm currently charging my phone. It works. I'm charging my phone wirelessly. It works just fine. I just got to figure out the port. Just get like some canned air and hit it in the yeah in the charging ports, all of the ports on the phone. Okay, that should that should help you out. But it yeah. just can take a while because it's for it to air out. I'm so annoyed. I have not ever dropped my phone in the bathtub, but I'm the crazy person. <laughs> <Me either>. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's the first time for everything. <laughs> Apparently. But I regularly take my phone in the shower with me to like listen to audiobooks or music or whatever. And so I had to like MacGyver a spot for my phone where it like the water from the shower wouldn't drip into the charging port. Yeah. So I hear that. I've got that too. It was weird. My last iPhone, I never dropped it in water ever. And I would get that error sometimes toward like towards the end of the battery life, like mm-hmm. or at the towards the end of me owning the phone, it would give me that error that there was water in the port. I was like, no, the fuck there isn't. Like, <laughs> Sweat, moisture in the air. Who the hell knows? I guess. You I, live in Florida. I was just about to say that. I was like, you live in Florida and it's humid as fuck. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember what day, some day this past week, I went outside and it was like slightly warmer out. And I was like, but it was still like super overcast and it's been super rainy here. And I was like, oh my God, it is so muggy. Like I could mm-hmm. chew on the air. It was so thick and heavy. I was like, Ugh. it's not quite that bad right now, but it's like that in like late summer, mm-hmm. early fall. It's disgusting. Yeah. That's like, july and august here yeah it's fine i just stay inside yeah it's like it's miserable for different reasons because of the weather everywhere we lived (laughs) it's miserable like anywhere you go unless you live in like san diego or like hawaii the weather is going to have issues. Like there's no place on the planet where it's just perfect year round. Yeah. Like San Diego was the closest I've ever lived to like perpetually gorgeous weather. I actually really enjoyed the high deserts weather. I know that might sound odd, 
Because it was, it, it does get very hot. It's very hot. The heat never bothered me. The heat did not bother me because it wasn't, it wasn't suffocating like, hum- no. like humid heat. Um, yeah. Dry heat, literally, it is like a 15 degree difference between the sun and the shade. Yes. Like if you're in the shade, it is so much more tolerable. Yes. And then like you get like a little like off you know, shore breeze come through mm-hmm. that actually is a nice cooling breeze. Definitely. I hated the wind. Yeah, the wind was not fun. Uh, but to me, having grown up in such a humid climate, I like the relief of being warm and not feeling like you're breathing water was yeah. phenomenal. Also, my hair has never looked better. It was so like I it was so easy for me to style. I could curl it and it would stay. It was I loved it. The dry heat, man, the dry weather, I'll do that for you. I know you also mentioned like when I you and I first met, you're like, my skin has never looked this good. Yeah. Like yeah. not having the humidity. Oh, it definitely cleared it up quite a bit. And then I moved back to the southeast. Uh to Georgia area and it wasn't awful but it wasn't good either mm-hmm. I will say I it's been my skin's been pretty good the last year or two oh because you started taking care of it mm-hmm. because for the first time in my life I started doing what I was supposed to yeah wash you, your face wash your face you moisturize yeah like, don't get me wrong. I did wash my face before, but it was not like I didn't always take my makeup off. Mm-hmm. I didn't put like vitamin E on my skin or I definitely didn't moisturize. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Moisturizing is important. I like I have like a routine where I like most weeknights I just do like I take my makeup off and then like I do a normal night cream but on like Friday and Saturday nights I like slug so I put like a lot of moisturizing things on my face I can't do that you yeah you have oilier skin than I do I have like normal to dry skin so I can get away with that but I straight up put bio oil on my face it is I honestly freaking if I could put bio oil from head to toe every night, I would. But that would get really expensive. Yeah, I do like bio oil. I use it a lot, but I would. But it's not even about having oil in your skin. You, it is very much about having like a sticky face. <laughs> I, I don't find bio it. oil to be sticky at no, all. Not bio oil, but like when people do that thing where they just like soak their skin like bio oil and then like Mm -hmm. very heavy moisturizer on top of it i don't do sticky face well i can't i can't Mm -mm. fair fair Mm -mm. Um, my face never feels sticky but i do jokingly say that i'm greased up like a pig when i get in bed (laughs) i see no i can't do that (laughs) i jokingly tell john that so he knows like when he goes to kiss me good night what his hand is going to encounter. (laughs) I swear sometimes he only kisses me to steal my chapstick, though. 
And I bought him lots of chapstick. It's because there's some kind of magical force in the world that makes chapstick disappear. Yeah. So you just always have to buy more. Yeah, I buy like the big packs of Burt's Bees at Costco. Because he will not wear anything else, which is fine. Burt's Bees is great chapstick. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. <laughs> I'm like, where and he tries to like leave it in his car in the summertime. No. I'm like, you cannot do that. No, it's such a you bad idea. You can't do that. Like Mark forgets that sometimes too. And puts things in the car. He is famous for putting fruit in the car. Yeah. He takes like an apple or a banana wherever he goes. Like whenever he leaves the house. It's just this like thing. You can't leave that in there though. I know. So that's what he did. And I would get so pissed because I would open the door and I could instantly smell half rotten banana or apple. Oh my god. I would vomit. It upset me so much. I would literally vomit. Ugh. I can't think of anything worse, honestly. Like, find any other snack that is, like, not nearly as perishable as a freaking piece of fruit. Mark, come on now. I know. I know. Yeah, come on. Come on. Uh, it's, come on. Yeah. Mm-mm. To be fair, it's not hot as fuck where he grew up, so it's not something you need to consider. Well, you have to learn to adapt. I know. Now he lives somewhere that gets hot as fuck. I know. That's funny. And he chose to live here for a reason. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. Yes. Yes, he did. He does. It has to do with okay. me, not the weather. <laughs> so, <laughs> did he choose the weather? I mean... Right now, the the two of you, you and the weather, kind of an inseparable duo. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, well. It's all good. Should we get back into Iron Flame? We have a lot to talk about. We literally only made it through three chapters last time. Yeah, we had a lot to say. We And I think we're going to continue to have a lot to say, yeah. to be fair. Okay. All right. If you have not read Iron Flame, this is your official spoiler warning because we are going to talk like a bajillion trillion spoilers. Okay. As we go. Okay. So we're going to pick up a chapter four. And this is, you know, literally a split second after the end of chapter three, where Zayden has the oh so dramatic entrance of coming in right as they're reading all of their names on the death scrolls. And Everybody is apparently surprised that they are not dead, which I guess is surprising. I don't know. They've only been gone like a week at max. I mean, yeah, but the fact that like everyone else returned and they did, they were there a few days, like chilling, hanging Mm -hmm. out. Yeah, it's interesting. So. Colonel Fitzgibbon or Captain Fitzgibbon, excuse me, is like surprised that they're not dead. And then they turn and they see Colonel Ados is also on the dais and he is just 
turning red watching the eight of them walk in. And he's obviously 10 left, only eight came back. But still. But still. Then Violet locks eyes with her mother. And this is what is written in the book. And I only saying this because I love having any kernel of thing that can go against your, you know, deep seated hatred of this woman. (laughs) Yeah. She says, my mother locks eyes with me for one heartbeat, a side of her mouth tilting upward in an expression I'd almost I'm almost scared to call pride before she quickly masks it resuming the professional distance she's maintained impeccably for the last year. She's proud that whatever shit these kids got into, I say kids are all in their 20s, whatever shit they all got into, Violet came back. Violet keeps proving to herself, like to everyone around her, that yeah, she might be physically weak, but she is not weak. I, but I don't think her mom ever thought she was weak. I don't. I don't like, think so either. But she's proud that she came back. There's definitely like I don't like Lilith, but there are. <laughs> she does have. She's not like all evil. I don't like her, no. but like I did. She's so sneaky. She's doing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. You don't know. I don't know what's going on. You know. Mm-hmm. But there's something we clearly don't know, and she is hiding something. And that mm-hmm. that's what makes me distrust her so much. It's like, mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. it's not that she's not proud of her. It's not that she doesn't love Violet. That was never my issue with her. Anyways, <laughs> so they go into, they're like, well, why are they reported dead? They're like, well, they've been missing for six days. We kind of just assumed that they, they were dead. And I'm like, that's a terrible assumption to make. Mm-hmm. Terrible assumption. So they start going into it. And, you know, Zayden is not happy. And he's like, we lost Liam and Soleil. And we all almost lost Soren Gale. And then this happens. The general pivots and for a second looks down at me like she's not just my commanding officer with a worry and a touch of horror in her eyes. She looks at me like she's just mom. Again, this is just going to like clearly. Lilith loves her daughter. It's very clear. And she doesn't actually want anything bad to happen to her. I'm not going to say anything. You're not going to say anything? No. No? (laughs) Okay. I'll I'll reserve my Lilith comments until the end. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So then Zayden goes in and starts telling the story. And, you know, the reminder he keeps telling... Violet is selective truth, tell no lies. And that's how they're going to get through this situation. So they do own up to there being an attack at Athbean, but they blame the attack on Griffin instead of the Venon. And, you know, obviously Colonel Atos knows what really fucking happened. It's unclear who else might know Mm -hmm. at this point. And, Ultimately, it is Violet talking to her mom that seals the deal and like gets them through this conversation. 
And, you know, when she talks about how Violet survived getting stabbed and being thrown into combat in her first year, um, Violet says, I did. And then the next line is she nods a satisfied half smile, curving her her mouth for all of a heartbeat. Maybe you're more like me than I give you credit for. Because she's always said that Violet is her father's daughter. Her, her father was a scribe, always kind of followed him. But maybe she's got a little bit more Lilith in her than Lilith uh, originally planned. Again. You're not going to say anything. I know. I'm just going to keep bringing these kernels up and you're going to just continue to be like not trusting of her mom. No. So they all get dismissed to go back down into formation. And Dane comes out of the crowd and um, is being Dane. And um, he's like, you know, seemingly excited that she is alive. But then I just absolutely love what Violet shouts in his face, which is touch me. And I swear to the gods, I will cut your fucking hands off and let the quadrant sort out, sort you out in the next round of challenges. Dane Atos. Damn right. Damn right. Fuck him. Zayden's response in her head was violence indeed. I love that nickname. It's fine. I don't know how I feel about it, honestly. I love it. I would get that shit tattooed on me. Also, this violence is- indeed. Yes. Fuck yeah. With a violet under it. Are you joking? Hell yeah. If you say so. Especially right now. Yeah, you're feeling a little spicy today. A little spicy. Little spicy. So um clearly, um Violet is not interesting and in, interested in continuing her friendship with Dane, which I think all of us are excited about. Um and he's he's like what is Zayden gonna threaten to kill me now and he's like why should I when Soringale is perfectly capable of doing that for herself she doesn't want you to touch her pretty sure everyone in the quadrant heard her that should be enough for you to keep your hands to yourself there's so many yeah he goes on and he like gets in his face and lowers his voice which to me is always when things get scarier and he's like But in case it's not, every time you think of reaching for her face, I want you to remember one word. And Dane's like, what's that? And he's like, Athbeam. Mm Mm-hmm. And totally changes Dane's demeanor. He, like, you know, crawls back into the hole he came out of. Yeah, because it was his fault that they all almost died. A hundred percent. He is responsible for Liam and Soleil's death. Yeah. 100%. 100%. So. Graduation is allowed to go on and. Zayden graduates. But obviously he. Um, isn't able to like. 
pick like normally they get like a little bit more opportunity to kind of pick where they're going to go but he kind of just gets whatever orders he gets as long with the other third years who graduate at the end of this so and now violet and the rest of the crew officially become second years let's be honest though even if they had been there zayden was never going to get she was never gonna get a good never no because he's the son of the rebellion leader like Mm -hmm. he's never going to get a good uh good orders he's always going to get the shit first orders like he's gonna go to the worst duty station possible yeah uh-huh 100 it's like when the russians send people to siberia a hundred percent hundred percent it's like when the army or the mil- or the marine corps sends anyone to fort Irwin or barstow oh yeah Good old Who should piss off to get orders here? <laughs> like I, I said, I've said this to you before. I have met some of my favorite people at that duty station. Mm-hmm. But it is also one of the worst places ever. And I'm so grateful we didn't actually live on Fort Irwin. Oh yeah. It's in the literal middle of nowhere. I know. I try to explain this to people and they think that I'm exaggerating. And I'm like, no, like not. You stop in this tiny town Mm -hmm. just off the interstate, which if you blink, you won't even realize that you're driving through a fucking town and and then drive 40 miles into the desert. Mm -hmm. That's it. There ain't Mm -hmm. shit around you. You are on an island. In an ocean of sand. It sucks. Dirt, tumbleweeds, and Joshua trees. And donkeys. Okay, but the donkeys are cute. (laughs) The donkeys are cute. (laughs) And the coyotes, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, lots of coyotes, tortoises. Oh, yeah. Tarantulas. I never really did see a whole lot of tarantulas. I saw, like, one or two. Yeah, they're not, like crazy prevalent oh, but no. they are out there when i moved there i was told that they crawl down the street you can see them like and i'm like expecting dozens of tarantulas the way this was described to me just it's, it's meandering it's, down the road it's not that bad okay <laughs> yeah i uh yeah it's it's a shit posting it sucks it's a cool job while you're out there Oh, yeah. Very cool job. But like for the families, it's shit. And there's mm-hmm. so much, so much drama because there is nothing to do. Uh-huh. I didn't live there and I used to watch it from afar out in Barstow. And it's just like, holy shit. Yeah, it is absolutely garbage. Absolute garbage. Anyways, as we digress yet again. It applies. It does apply. It is at least a somewhat logical uh, tangent, which we are not always known for. Yeah. Not always. We're going to get into chapter five and I'm going to read. This is one. We didn't read the one for chapter four because it doesn't it doesn't really matter. But here's the one for chapter five. A little pre chapter blurb. 
After three consecutive deaths of prisoners during his interrogations, it is in this command's opinion that Major Burton Verish should be reassigned from active wing until further notice. And this is a missive from Lieutenant Colonel Denegree's Denegree Samara Outpost to General Melgren. So I think it's pretty pretty clear we're going to meet this motherfucker at some point. Oh, yeah. And he's going to suck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's going to suck. Dare I say, he might be the umbrage of Iron Flame. I, I think pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. So all of them are partying after, you know, advancing to their next year. So it's a, it's a big party. They're all drinking... Um, liquored up lemonade and other distilled liquors the lavender lemonade just made me think of the heiress tour (laughs) with the lavender haze cocktail (laughs) oh that's perfect tell me i'm wrong you're not and then we also learn about shintara which is a little town just outside of Basgayeth where second years can now go and in theory it's so they can like pray but everybody just uses it to get drunk in the village and hook up with people from other quadrants <laughs> and all I thought was oh it's Hogsmeade yeah oh that's so what I pictured it's Hogsmeade yeah absolutely so they talk about that and you know, she's Violet is sitting with Imogen, Quinn, Rhiannon, Riddick, Sawyer, and Nadine. And Imogen and Quinn are from different like squads, but the five of them, Violet, Rhiannon, Riddick, Sawyer, and Nadine are the f- only five that have made it through the um, Iron Squad original crew. Mm-hmm. And it's very sad to not have Liam there with them. That was very sad. They're all talking about how they're excited for second year and having a little bit more freedom and all of that kind of stuff. And it, you know, it's, but it's also difficult because they're, you know, talking about, you know, maneuvers and stuff, but Violet has actually seen combat at -hmm. this point. And they try to talk to her about it and she kind of just clams up and, you know, it's difficult. They don't know. She doesn't know how to talk about it. And they end up doing a toast to Liam um, in his honor. It's tough. And she's trying to hide like what really happened to Liam and all of this stuff. Like it's a really difficult situation. Really, really difficult. I know all that, but it's so the whining. Oh, she's a whiny little bitch. It's so much whining. So much like, I can't talk to my friends. I can't tell them anything. They're like, yeah, you can't tell them anything. Yeah. Like, let's, we've established this very early in the book. Oh, we established this literally three chapters in why you can't talk to people about what's going on. And now we're going to spend like 40 chapters rehashing it. It's very annoying. 
But then Zayden shows up and he's dressed in his officer's letters and all she can think letters, leathers, and all she can do is think that he's hot. And like, to be fair, dress military uniforms are nice to look at. Yeah, they are. (laughs) It's nice to look at. And to be fair, I married into the branch with what I would argue are some of the worst ones. Oh, you did. The Navy's dress uniforms are not cute. No. No. His A-classes are nice. Like, the tan shirt and the green pants. Yeah, I like that look. That That's not bad. Like, the actual dress blues and dress whites? No. I gotta say, the Marines are probably my favorite. Oh, I mean, I don't think you can get better than the Marine dress no. blues. Oh, my God, it's they're not, so nice. That's not even my favorite one. It's the greens. Oh, yeah. The class A's? Yes. Thank you. I never remembered the names of which ones, but you know which one I'm talking about. I know which one. Yes. The class A's are... I I will say I loved the blueberries. So, like, the blue camo. Oh, I did. That one was was interesting. It it was dumb. Yeah. Like, why are your camo, why is your camo blue? You're going to, if you fall overboard, they will never find you. But what I later learned is they don't even wear those camis on ship. They don't? They don't, they're not allowed to because they're not fire retardant enough. They will melt to your skin if you're trying to fight a fire. So they actually wear dark blue jumpsuits. I know, because my husband still has a bunch of them, and he does, like, yard work in them. Is it, like, a... kind of like a pickle suit? A pickle suit? Yeah. um, The Air Force... I think that's what they used to call them. Um, They used to wear the, like, the one-piece green zip It is exactly that, except in blue. Blue. Okay. (laughs) It is exactly that, but in blue. Yeah, I think they're called pickle suits. Maybe I, maybe not. I don't know. The only fun term I have from the Navy is Skittles, which are all the people who work on the flight deck on an aircraft carrier. And that they makes all have so diff- much sense. They have different colored shirts for what they do. Like yellow is fuel, red is weapons. Like they all have different colors. And so they're called the Skittles. That makes a thousand percent sense. I agree with that one. It's, it's a good name. Like, good job, guys. That is entertaining this is i'm gonna go off topic but this is hilarious we were watching like a clip reel of on some youtube channel about a lawyer and a jag person talking about the new top gun movie (laughs) and like the how many war crimes does tom cruise commit in those movies yeah peace a lot um and one of the things that they were talking about is when they land back on the aircraft carrier at the end of the movie they're like in a jet that they stole, which is not actually technically a war crime, which was fun to learn. Um, and John, who's not really paying attention to this video while we're watching it, chimes in. He's like, yeah, they'd probably just get the crane and shove it off the edge of the deck. <laughs> I'm like, that's like a multi-million dollar jet. He's like, yeah, but like... What else are we going to do with it? Like, we're not going to keep it. It's old technology. They're just going to throw it off the side. Yeah. It's just... 
It's like flicking over the edge. It's like those like cats that yeah, you know, they're like that bats it off the edge. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely, precisely. So, anyways, back to the story that isn't about the navy. Um, so. She goes over to talk to Zayden. Obviously, everybody's just like, go get some girl. And she's a little tipsy. She's had a couple of lavender lemonades and she's feeling pretty good. And um, he's there to say goodbye, which is kind of sad. If you really think about it. Surprised. I know. How long? She's like, oh, you're not leaving tomorrow. And he's like, um, He says they prefer wing leaders to vacate their rooms first since the new guys like to move in quickly. Which, duh. Yeah. Which is, duh. (laughs) And so they're talking and they're walking through. She's like essentially like walking him out and they run into fucking Colonel Atos. Fucking hell. Um, and he he's like, leaving the Southern Wing so soon, the front will be lucky to have such a capable writer. Which, again, she's fucking surprised that he got orders to the front. And I'm like, you realize everyone hates him, right? They're not going to protect him. But then they also learn that her mom reassigned Colonel Atos to a coastal outpost. Like, she sent him often she sent him off into a fucking oblivion well yeah because he was like tried to murder her daughter yeah and actively participated in the death of two cadets yeah Yeah. like the fuck so the colonel's face blotches i might bite night not be here but you won't be as often either once every fortnight according to your new orders so if we remember because Taryn and Sagale are mated, they have to see each other every couple of days or they go into like physical pain. Like it's not good for them to be separated. Mm-hmm. So everybody had up until this point had been anticipating them getting him coming back like every three to four days or her going out there every three to four days, like switching off. That is not the case. They're going to make them go. They're going to have leave every 14 days, but it's staggered. So they'll see each other pretty much on the weekends. Not great. I Well, and it was like, and it's not even that because with the, him being so far away, mm-hmm. it's like, it's not, I, I want to say it's not, it's not even, even like, like a, a full, full weekend. day. It's, it's like, she'll leave Friday night mm-hmm. and she has to come back like Sunday night. So she's not even getting like a whole day because it takes her like until the morning to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's real bad. It's real bad. But this is also when we actually meet Barish. Colonel introduces them to him. He is there. The two of them are walking in. This is what Colonel Atos has to say. Violet, this is your new vice commandant, Major Barish. He is here to tighten the ship, as they say. We seem to have gotten a little lax when we're with what we allow around here. Naturally, the quadrant's current executive com- commandant will still see over 
CETA operations, but Varys's new position, position only answers to Pancheck, meaning that even though her mom is in charge of the war college, this she has her mom has no control over this Varys schmuck schmuck. Yeah, he he gets to he gets carte blanche, carte blanche, carte blanche. Yeah. Uh, Zayden takes both missives, careful to not touch Varish's hands, and then gives me the one with my name scrawled across the front. Zayden is clearly immediately suspicious of this Varish guy, like not wanting to make hand to hand combat, like touch, like contact with this person to me is sus. He is very suspicious of this man. Should be. A hundred percent. Should be. Should be. So here's <laughs> the exact orders from that are written. It says Cadet Violet Sorengale is hereby given two days of leave once every 14 days to be used only to fly with Tarn directly to and from Sigale's current duty station or location. Any other absence from class will be considered a punishable offense. I mean, no romantic rendezvous for them. Are we surprised? No, I'm not surprised. I'm not like they're just out to make everyone's life just as miserable as they can. Oh, it's it's a hundred percent retaliation, and I'm like, I really wish there was some EEOC here in Basquiat. There's not, though. There's no equal employment opportunity stuff going on here. <laughs> There's no protections. There's no Title IX. There's no Bill of Rights. There's none of that nonsense. None. Absolutely not. But Colonel Atos leaves them with this beautiful, wonderful kernel of a sentence, which is, Secrets make for poor leverage. They die with the people who keep them. That was like, I read that. And I was like, somebody's got some balls. <laughs> like, I honestly was not expecting Colonel Atos to have that level of balls, to be honest. I wasn't either. I was like, okay, I guess we're going to come right out and say it. I was like, wow, we're just going to say the, the, that we're going to say the quiet part out loud. Are we? Okay. You are hundred percent gunning to kill these two. Cause you know that they know. Yeah. You know that they know. You know that they know that I know. <laughs> they don't know that you know that I know that we know that they, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> That was a friend's reference in case anybody was wondering. That brings us to chapter six. And here's our little pre-chapter snippet. What no one openly says is that while all four quadrants obey the code of conduct, a writer's first responsibility is to the codex, which often overrules the regulations other quadrants live by. By definition, the writers make their own rules. And this is from Major Afrenda's Guide to the Writer's Quadrant, the unauthorized edition. 
you do this thing with your face and that's like I'm waiting for Jill to pick up on something. I don't know what you want me to say sometimes. <laughs> Whatever's in your head. Well, because sometimes I don't have anything at this exact moment. So it's like. <laughs> I think it's interesting. And this, again, this is probably because being a, a former military spouse, former in that my husband is no longer in the active duty service. But it's interesting for me to see it laid out. Like there's, it's like there's the uniform code of conduct, like the US, UMC, USM, whatever it is. You know yeah, I know what you're talking about. But my husband in the work that he did in the Navy, he would always say like the nuclear Navy is separate from the rest of the Navy. They operate under very different rules and regulations in comparison to the rest of the Navy. So I was like, this is interesting that there's kind of a subset of rules that the writers go by that are sometimes in contradiction to what the other quadrants go by. Um, this didn't surprise me, but I guess I, I don't know. Maybe it's because like my military experience is heavily associated with pilots. So it was like, you do have a type. <laughs> but I, it was just, I don't know, because I grew, like, the, I don't want to, like, shit on pilots, but, like, We can shit on pilots. There is such a, it's, no, because they're not all assholes, but, like, they have a reputation. Mm-hmm. They have a reputation for a reason. And it's kind of, that is, like, <sighs> this is how it felt to me, where it's, like, very, it's not official rules, but like this is how everybody does it. This is what all the pilots are doing. This is what all the I'm not I'm trying not the writers to writers do. Yes. I'm trying not to like use actual <laughs> references. <clears throat> yeah, it's there's a certain level of arrogance within certain sects of the military. Yeah. You can just say the that implies to the entirety of the Marine Corps. Oh, they are a whole separate breed. <laughs> I'm not I talk with my hands and I'm you knocking do. things over on my desk. And even within the Marine Corps, there are subsects of people because grunts, it sounds like they would be lower on the scale of arrogance, but they are actually higher on the scale of it. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. If you're a grunt in the, in the core, it's like, they do. Oh yeah. That's a tough bitch. Wait, they think that, or the rest of the core thinks that, Oh, the whole of the core is like, Oh, if you're a grunt. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough motherfucker. Yeah, I guess they're dumb. Okay, but they're I was tough. gonna say that right there. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, the entire core is. Con- There's a lot of jokes about the core eating <laughs> crayons, <laughs> and we can say that because I worked for the the Marine Corps. <laughs> I worked for, for over five years. I've spent a lot of time around a, a lot a variety of Marines. I'm allowed to make the joke. 
I was, I didn't spend as much time around the Marine Corps, but it was a common joke because I was a, an army spouse. Yes. Which is their favorite joke about the Marines. The Marines have as much to say about army oh, soldiers sure. as <laughs> soldiers have to say about Marines because it's a lot of it kind of lays in like the cannon fodder side of jokes that the army is a bunch of cannon fodder. The arm, the Marines do the invading, the army does the occupying. Gotcha. And then yeah. the Air Force are the are it's called the Chair Force for a reason. <laughs> they they're like, oh my god, there's only a four star hotel. The accommodations here are so bad. They get, they get sent to army bases and get like. Uh, hazard pay pay. (laughs) yeah yeah or or cost of living or something like that because the the barracks they were provided were so substantial for the air force Force. (laughs) meanwhile it is an actively used army facility yeah and it's like (laughs) this is where the army lives deal with it yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent and then the i do appreciate that about this book like yeah it does play into the into the dynamics between like services a little bit especially when we're talking infantry and rider yes but also like the familiar aspects of like our old life if that makes sense that you're like oh that's funny like yes Like, and honestly, unless you lived in, if you were a military brat or like you spent time around the military, you probably wouldn't pick up on some of this shit. Yeah, say exactly, exactly. And not to say that like you have to be a military spouse, like people who work on the regular also can pick up on this shit as well. Yes, yes. Those who work on the civilian side would also pick up on all of this stuff. But I mean, yeah, it's... (laughs) It's funny. Just so we can make sure it's even. uh, Apparently, according to the Marine Corps, the Navy's just the limo service for them. (laughs) I haven't heard that. Mm -hmm. Fun little things. Fun little things. So Violet is clearly, you know, pissed off at what Colonel Atos just said. And, (laughs) you know... He essentially threatens Mira and everybody they like to kill them should Zayden and Violet or any of the eight who came back tell what they truly saw. I mean. It's fucked up. Yeah, you can't. It's really fucked up. But it's for it's every, really- but it's for everyone's safety. So he's worried about them causing problems and using this to potentially start another rebellion. Those like that is a hundred percent where I think Ados is it like intentions and motivation is coming from. He's not so much worried about like keeping anyone safe other than his own ass. But like Zayden and Violet aren't going to say anything. I not meant- to not to comply with with Atos, but to protect 
everyone That's what else. I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah. Is that mm-hmm. it's a safety thing. They're not going to say anything because it's a safety issue for mm-hmm. not only Violet and Zayden, but mm-hmm. everyone else involved. Exactly. And so Violet does not have great control of her power. So he's like, let me get you outside before you like blow up this entire place. So they go outside and they're talking and it's just, you know, difficult. Um, She's really upset about how the orders came down with them. She's like, we're only going to have a couple of hours to like pass information. And she's, She's in her feels. She doesn't actually want to be mad at Zayden about everything that's gone down, but she can't allow herself to get past it for some reason. We will explore that reason later in this book. (laughs) (laughs) But she can't, she can't get past it. And, you know, they have this long conversation about how it is he thinks she still loves him. I know that she still loves him. And <laughs> Rhiannon comes in then right before he le- like right around he- when he's leaving and she's like, oh, I'm the new she's like, I've got news for you. So Dane has been named their wing leader. <laughs> Which honestly, like he's such a rule follower. He's probably going to be a good wing leader. Which is annoying. And that means that their squad leader got promoted too, which means Rhiannon is going to be their new squad leader. I was super excited about that. Yeah. And I love that there was like no jealousy with Violet. She was just immediately excited and, you know, supportive of her friend. Yeah. Which I love. And Zayden again reminds Violet, hey, don't get involved with what Bodhi and the other Rebellion kids are doing because you don't have a relic. And so Melgren can see what you're fucking doing. And then he leaves. I know. So that brings us to chapter seven. (laughs) We're getting there, guys. Slowly but surely, we're getting there. So it's been a couple of days and they're um, getting ready for like second year orientation. And they're talking it through and they're like, we've never been second years before. We don't know what's normal or not. Brianna uh, asks Nadine what happened to her hand and she like hurt her hand doing something stupid because, you know. They do stupid things. But she mentioned, she's like, don't worry. The healers think Nolan might have an opening for me tomorrow before parapet. He's been run ragged since the war games. Say that again. So this is, don't worry. The healers think Nolan might have an, op- an opening for me tomorrow before parapet. He's been run ragged since war games. So Nolan, if we remember, is like the head of the healers quadrant he has a long-standing relationship with Violet because Violet breaks a lot and has to go to him on a regular. Yeah. So this is the first time it is mentioned that 
he is incredibly busy. And they're just currently attributing that to war games. I think we'll hear it again. I think we're going to hear it maybe again. So then they go through their little brief and (laughs) we get a new professor, Professor Grady. And this is his first year uh, teaching. So he is, you know, a little green. And he's like, congrats on living through the night through your first year. There are 89 of you in this room. From what the scribes tell me, you are the smallest class to walk this hall since the first six. Not a good sign. Mm -mm. The writer's numbers are dwindling. It's really, really bad. And then um, Violet talks to Taryn. She's like, fewer dragons are bonding. I say toward Taryn, knowing Andarna drifted into the dreamless sleep a few days ago. It's because the Empyrean knows about the Venom. Or is that because the Empyrean knows about the Venom? Yes, I can almost hear an exasperated sigh in Taryn's voice. But we need more writers, not fewer. And he responds, the Empyrean remains divided on whether or not we should get involved. Humans aren't the only ones keeping secrets. (laughs) You're doing the face thing again. (laughs) What secret do you think that the dragons are keeping? I can't say because I know. You know what the secret is? Well, no. I mean, I know one of the secrets. Yeah. But why do you think the secret that you and I, I I think I know what secret you're talking about. Why do you think that would lead them to having fewer dragons bond? You don't know? I'm so not following where you're at. We're going to have to have like a sidebar conversation. It doesn't have to be right now. We can talk about it later, but we're definitely, I'm not following. (laughs) So yeah, it's interesting. The dragons are keeping a very big secret or maybe more than one big secret. I think it's more than one big secret. I'll say that. I think it's, I definitely think that there is uh, more than one big secret. So then professor Grady introduces them to the secret of second year, which is writer survival course, which is essentially uh, outdoor camping and how to survive. It's like wilderness training. Uh, this, I know what this is like. And again, this is reminiscent of military life. Like I've mm-hmm. had multiple family members go through this. And for the life of me, I cannot remember what it's called. Yeah, like how to survive on your own. It's survival training. Yeah. I've got some funny stories from people mm-hmm. about those. Mm-hmm. Someone ends up eating an onion like a fucking apple because they got I mean, real hungry. Food is food. Yeah. Food is food. So it's not tough. I mean, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not tough. <laughs> it is I think tough. I think it's the opposite. I think it is very it's tough. It's very tough. It's very tough. I was wrong. <laughs> the difference between like normal wilderness survival training and this is that they also have to learn how to withstand interrogation. Yeah. AKA torture. Man, not great. It's going to drive me nuts. That I cannot remember the name of this school. 
the Google machine might help you. You said my typing's too loud. <laughs> you do type with uh, force. I do. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You type with force. I it's okay. I type with feeling. You do. With passion. Um, and then they're told that essentially they're going to be, you know, RSC is classified. That's why they've never heard about it before. I hate this trope. Yeah. I honestly, like, this is just a continuation of, of something I didn't really love in Fourth Wing, which is like the surprise how college actually works. It's like the, n- everything is a surprise. Like the next step in the in the college process here of war college is always like, Oh, I didn't know that this was going to happen. But yet Violet is supposed to be like essentially a scribe in the writer squadron. and supposed to know so much and be like this wealth of knowledge. And like, I get like, like RSC is classified, but I feel like I would be more accepting of that if we didn't have the same thing go with like the war games and all the shit that happened in fourth wing and how all of those things were like surprises to the crew. Yeah. It'd be slightly more too many, too much of this college experience is a surprise in my humble opinion. Like we should have known about way more of of this in my humble opinion. Mm. But again, so they talk about that and how they're going to like get surprised when they have to do like their mid-year interrogation RSC test. And essentially they like literally get abducted and they won't know when it's happening and they do it intentionally to like catch them off guard. So after orientation for second year, they go she goes down to the archives. And she's looking to see if she can talk to uh, Yesenia, her friend. And she runs into Captain... Or... Yeah. No. So she does. She finds Yesenia. And we learn that there's this guy, Nasia, who just literally sleeps in this chair all day. And I don't know why he's named. I don't know why he exists. He literally doesn't matter for the entire book. I don't even remember him. Exactly. Exactly. So she goes down to talk to her and it's hard because Jasenia and her have been friends for a really long time, but she's heeding Brennan's warning that they, she can't trust anybody in the scribe quadrant because they're all complicit. They're all complicit. And so, yeah, so she, goes down and she has this intention and you know we don't totally know the history of what like what her idea is but she has decided to do her own little side research project to try to help the revolution and so she asks yesenia to give her some books about the history of why basgayeth was built where it was instead of building it in caldir so it's she has some kind of intention here. She's thinking about things. She's trying to um, to do stuff. And it's pretty easy to deduce that she's trying to figure out the problem of the wards. Why? How did they get the ward to work in Basgayeth so she could potentially get it to work in Eurasia? She thinks she's being sneaky, sneaky. 
She thinks she is. She's not. No. She is like her sleuthing ability is like negative five. Yeah, it's terrible. She's not good. Not good at sleuthing. Like, sorry, you're not good at this. Not at all. So we're going to pause here because chapter eight is going to pick up on conscription day and there's a lot to talk about there. And that will lead us into like another hour (laughs) just on just the craziness that happens on conscription day. Absolute craziness. There's a lot that happens in this one chapter. It was a lot. It was a lot. I do like that like for the most part, the chapters aren't super long, but they can be pretty dense for info. Yeah. 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 <laughs> some of them are. Some of them are not. No, some of them are not. Some of them have like three bullet points. And I'm like, I feel like this didn't need to be a chapter. So, yeah, they're... There are a few like that for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like we just uh, I really wish Violet had like a little bit better control of her emotions through this book. I understand that she is like severely traumatized. Yeah. And she is struggling with things and insecurities and but it's not even stuff. It's not even that she's struggling with it's she's not dealing with the trauma that she's not she's focusing on all this other bullshit that like is not important which i think is why it's so annoying it's like yeah if you're gonna complain about something maybe like deal with an actual issue i don't disagree with you deal with an actual issue like confront it she's really unwilling to confront her problems and we're seeing that through all of this like she does not she thinks it in her head but she does not say it aloud to zayden or any of or imogen or like any of these friends that could help her with this of how can i maintain a relationship with my friends when i cannot tell them this incredibly big thing that I went through when I can't talk about this thing with them. Yeah. And I'm sure that they would be able, because all of them have relationships with people outside of the revolution. So how else do you approach that? Like, but she's not even willing to do that. It's so frustrating to me because she's the thing that I enjoyed about Violet in fourth wing was the fact that she was willing to question things and look beyond the surface value of something. And she's just stuck. Yeah. And it's frustrating. It's it it, it was it was it did make getting into certain i wish i had enjoyed the book more and it makes me wonder if like things had been tightened up and edited and tweaked a little bit better Mm -hmm. than maybe i would have yeah and i feel like it's hard because like for some of the plot points in this book you need 
Violet to not be herself. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, if Violet is confronting her, like, I feel like you could have her be confronting her trauma, but not having fully, like, processed it and still have some of those plot points make sense. And some of these plot points are, it's just so frustrating because it's like, this does, this does not, this moment does not need to be happening. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I remember the name of the school. You remembered the name of the school. Please, please tell us. Well, I didn't actually remember. I texted my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Sear School. Uh, it's, yes. it's like the horror version of camping and torture training. <laughs> yeah, it's zero fun. Zero fun. Zero fun. They also, like, take your shit from you while you're out there. Like, you don't get to talk to anybody. You're just, like, mm-hmm. in the suck with your people. Yeah. yeah. Um, the military really, really loves trauma bonding. Oh, yeah. People. Oh, yeah. They love to break you down and build you into something different. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But anyway. I remember. Anywho. I found out Any- that's all it's we're gonna pause here before diving into chapter eight thank you all so much for listening if you want to check out what is coming up next on the pod be sure to follow us on instagram it's mel and jill geek out at just mel and jill geek out and if you have something to uh suggest for us to geek out about next shoot us an email over at jill and mel geek out at gmail.com again my name is melissa and i'm jill And this has been Mel and Jill Geek Out. Bye. Bye.